You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Healthcare is completely rigged. It's a game of profits over outcomes. It's a game for shareholders over consumers and for corporate winners over all the rest of us. So there's very few winners and mostly losers in this game called American Healthcare. So I have a simple way to beat the game and I've been doing it now for three years. It's called opting out. You can sidestep the whole game by creating a whole new reality that about 20 million of us have dipped our toes into and some of us have dived into it fully. My company and other employers on my show literally laugh. I mean, I wish I had the uh, outtakes, but they literally laugh when I ask, would you ever opt back into this old rigged game where people are assured of losing time and money or both? And they all laugh and they say, there's no way I'd ever go back. I'd never again go back to the old way of dealing with insurance companies and hospitals and big system approach, big corporate approach, big factory medicine approach. My retention at Beacon Clinics is nearly perfect. Everybody that I want to stay there stays there. And my attraction is the same. I used to have to interview 50 to 60 people to get one or two good medical assistants. Now I interview four people. I get four in my last set of interviews. We get the best because we offer free healthcare day one. Now that is consumer focused. No waiting, no games, no tricks. Direct contracting is what we call it today. It's also known as uh, digital first care. Thank you, Jay Parkinson. But direct contracting involves employers and individuals who deal directly with not only primary care physicians, but with labs, with imaging centers, with pharmacies and with surgery centers, and with people like today's guest who help you get into the, understand the surgery center and the recovery process, all who will give serious discounts when offered cash. If you offer cash to any one of these folks, they don't have to deal with the insurance nightmare of collecting. They will take it every time. In fact, if you go to your primary care clinic's office and you see all those people wandering around with their scrubs on, 90% of those folks are dealing with money issues every day. The first one's going to take your credit card and you'll fill out a pap application or your paperwork and then they'll enter it. And then the next one's going to make sure that your copay is handled. Then the next one's going to make sure that you get roomed. And that's the only care person in the whole team so far, just the person who's triaging you and making sure that your weight's recorded and all of that. And then behind the scenes, there's about nine to 10 to 12 people that are involved that are all administrative and financially oriented, yet they're called medical assistants or they're called billers and coders, or they're called referral clerks, but none of them have anything to do with care. It's all about money because they're playing the game. When you tell that doctor, you don't have to play the game and deal with billing and collections and we'll pay you cash within minutes or seconds of me finishing my appointment with you, they will take that every time. And again, as I said, not just doctors, labs, imaging centers, pharmacies, and surgery centers all take cash. Always have, always will. I personally use Redirect Health to do all the back end stuff for me, for my routine labs. 
my primary care, and I use Sidera for catastrophic. So that's in case I get cancer, a car wreck, or a cardio incident. And my show features the best contractors, the best folks that are dealing in this universe of opting out, and it's the only podcast of its kind that I can find in the healthcare universe. And my, most of my guests that come on find our interviews very refreshing because, we, again, we're approaching this whole thing from the process of getting a new way of doing primary care, a new way of doing business. Today, I'm looking forward to introducing you to Brad Newland, who's the CEO of Goldfinch Health. Welcome to the show. Ron, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Tell me where y'all are located before we get started. Austin, Texas. Oh, a hot dog. Okay, I can understand your accent then. All right, well, that's good. Well, Goldfinch Health, I think the premise of it is that if you're a primary care physician and you're going to refer a patient into surgery or someone's coming out of surgery and needs recovery, you're the guys to call. Tell us why. I might start uh, just by telling a bit of a story here. And this it's actually a central central Texas story. We were uh, we were working with a, a surgeon, colorectal surgeon here in central Texas, and uh, he's a an advanced minimally invasive surgeon that uses uh, what are called enhanced recovery after surgery protocols. We'll talk about those in, in just a bit. But needless to say, it's an opioid sparing approach that leads to, to faster recovery than the status quo. So we had a patient who went through a, a procedure for colorectal cancer and she did very well. Day after surgery, she was reporting to him. She felt like she was ready to go home. She's eating and drinking and passing gas, which is the key indicator of if you can uh, if you can be out uh, discharged. And he was not quite ready and surprised even himself just how well the protocol worked uh, for this patient. So he asked that she stay an extra day. This is the type of surgery where most patients are in the hospital for five or six days. Um, so he asked her to stay an extra day after that colorectal procedure. So she was feeling so well that she started calling friends because, of course, that's what you would do if you're in the hospital and don't have anything to do. So she called a friend. She ended up calling a friend who was in Missouri. And it just so happened that friend in Missouri the previous year had a similar colorectal cancer and surgery. And they were shocked to share notes on what her procedure looked like compared to the Texas patient. The Missouri patient, she uh, had an, a large incision invasive procedure heavy dose of opioids after surgery. She couldn't eat solid food for six days and wasn't discharged for eight. She was shocked to hear from her friend who was ready to go home day one post-op and well on her way to recovery. And you can imagine the Texas patient, she was also shocked to hear how much worse it could have been. And that's the exact kind of insight that is missing often, especially when you talk about surgery and recovery. It's not something that happens very often, thankfully for most people. And so you don't have this insight. You don't realize what's possible for the better or for the worse in, in the surgical procedure you had. It happened for this patient. And what they were learning about was the benefit of minimally invasive surgery and these enhanced recovery protocols. And so that's really what we're talking about. Ron, I'm, I'm happy to dive into more detail, but uh, maybe I'll turn it back over to you to uh, continue the conversation. Well, well, let's talk about who's referring you. I guess primary care physicians is a natural I'm going to guess um, employer benefit plans that are self-insured, particularly the uh, third-party administrators need to know about you, right? Yeah, our, I'm the, uh, the CEO and co-founder of a company called Goldfinch Health. And what we do at Goldfinch is help people to find this enhanced recovery experience. It's minimally invasive. Um, so just a, just a second on enhanced recovery in case you, you and the listeners have not heard of enhanced recovery previously. It's this 20-year-old 
now approach to surgery that really reframes the entire before, during, and after experience in terms of the patient, but in the patient in the center. How can we optimize the patient to be the best version of themselves heading into surgery, during surgery, and afterwards? How can we reduce the stress on the patient? And it turns out, not surprisingly, if you can do that, you've got a patient who is much more prepared to get back to their normal life and back to work sooner. It's also a lower cost event. It's a more patient-friendly event. And it's one where there's a far lower reliance, if any reliance at all, on opioid painkillers, obviously very closely intertwined with the patient's recovery and the expense of the event. And so if you can, if you can find a procedure based on these enhanced recovery protocols, that have been around for a while, you've got somebody who there's an economic argument for why they would want that themselves, of course, because you're back to doing the things you love doing and back to full pay at work. It's also an economic, economic argument for the employer and for the insurers. And that's really our goal at Goldfinch is to build an understanding and demand for this experience that while it's been widely studied and widely, pretty widely written about over 4,000 journal articles over the last 20 years, it's only about 5% adopted across the US. And so it's an interesting conversation when it comes to primary care. We had a conversation recently, this is with a uh, physician in Dallas and it was in, in primary care. And we said, you know, kind of leading off the conversation, how much do you think about referrals? And his response was, that's all we think about. Are you kidding me? That's all I think about are referrals. And, and we think that when it comes to surgery and recovery, it makes sense that primary care should be aware of uh, enhanced recovery and the benefits of minimally invasive surgery, because the problems that are created through unnecessarily invasive surgery, those are problems that more often than not, the surgeon isn't dealing with. It's primary care that's dealing with it a month from now or two months from now or a year from now. And that includes a number of things that they may be dealing with, not the least of which is opioid addiction. So 60 to 80% of some back surgeries, and there's many types of them, are deemed unnecessary once you go see a chiropractor, go see a physical therapist. Um, I'm going to assume the same numbers are true for opioid. What what kind of numbers are being are you reducing by using your solution as opposed to the traditional one used by the other 95 percent? Yeah, it's I'm a pharmacist by training, a, a pain management certification. So this opioid piece to the puzzle is, is really interesting to me and important to me. And it's really part of our, our mission in helping to turn off the spigot where a lot of persistent opioid use unfortunately begins, which is around, around surgery. So the statistics are 90% of patients today are prescribed opioids, at least one opioid painkiller after surgery. 76% use it. That's according to a University of Michigan study. 76% or just about three quarters of patients after surgery use an opioid painkiller, be it uh, Percocet or Vicodin or even Tramadol uh, as a, as a painkiller. And that is dangerous. We know now it's dangerous. This, the statistics show that patients who use opioids after surgery for even 24 hours, there's a 6% risk of them still using that opioid at one year, 6% after 24 hours. You extend that to five days. Five days is the, at the point where if you stop the opioid, you're probably experiencing withdrawal symptoms, the feeling of unwell, being unwell, or, or flu-like symptoms. That's withdrawal. And that means that 13% of patients are still using it one year because they, they felt that feeling, they didn't want it, and they continued using the opioid. And if you continue to 30 days, 
which when you get into orthopedics, something like 60% of knee replacement patients around the United States are still using an opioid at 30 days. And if you're using an opioid at 30 days post-op, there's a 30% chance you're still using it at one year. I know you're not an economist, but that's that's devastating to have a family member or someone you love on opioids for a simple surgery, maybe a knee surgery or back surgery. But what about the cost of reduced hospital stays, reduced time out of work? Are there you said there's 4,000 studies. Are there some studies that talk about the economic impact of your solution? There are. Uh, thanks for asking that. So on the opioid, just to finish that thought, what we're seeing is when you can get ahead of the pain, so really a core of enhanced recovery protocols is what's called multimodal pain management, which obviously that means using multiple different approaches around the pain. There are, there are five different pain pathways in the body. One of them happens to be the opioid receptor in your central nervous system, but there are others, right? So if you can attack the other pathways through non-addictive, non-opioid pain meds like acetaminophen and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen or Celebrex, uh, gabapentin is another pathway. If you can get ahead of the pain and stay ahead of the pain, that is how you find an opioid sparing or opioid-free experience. And so what we've seen with the Goldfinch patients, the members that we're supporting through our employer programs and others, is about a 50% reduction in opioid use after surgery compared to the national status quo. So about 20% of patients in our program use opioids after surgery as compared to the 76% that I mentioned from that University of Michigan study. Um, so that's one key result for us. Another key result is save time and recovery. This has been a largely ignored area after surgery. I think it's because mostly it's been assumed that there's only one way to go through surgery and that there's only one way to recover, whether you're talking about a knee replacement or a hysterectomy or a cancer colorectal procedure. That's just not true anymore. Uh, it's just not true. There are certain practitioners who are practicing according to these enhanced recovery protocols and people are getting back to work, for example, in a knee replacement in two or three weeks rather than two or three or four months. Um, so on average, what we're seeing when compared to a benchmark called MD guidelines or Presley Read, which is a widely used database, 16 million claims in disability, we're finding 34 saved days on average in recovery time. So somebody who would have been out for two months, they're back at work at one month as an example, uh, which is obviously a huge improvement uh, for the patient, for the patient and, and really a huge improvement when you start thinking about the experience of that employer from a productivity and a replacement labor type scenario, as well as the insurance carrier. So does the employer hire you? Does the, the plan administrator hire you? I'm, not, I'm unclear who's gonna actually engage you. It's either. So we have employers who directly hire us, especially self-insured employers, which are typically the employers that are say 500 or so plus employees. Um, they're hiring us for a number of reasons. They're hiring us because uh, productivity, uh, keeping their primary employees uh, on the job as much as possible. They're hiring us to reduce healthcare costs. It's been shown that these enhanced recovery protocols can reduce the cost of the surgical event, the actual healthcare cost, on average by $3,000 per event. They're hiring us uh, because of the opioid sparing aspect, especially when you're talking about manufacturing and construction. Some of the industries that have been really hard hit by opioid addiction they are interested. We have a law enforcement agency in, in the state of Florida called Seminole County Sheriff's Office. They've hired us for that reason. They help set up their employees and their family members for opioid sparing surgery because 
they know firsthand the impact of opioids on the community, and they want to do what they can to be part of the solution for their own folks. Um, so the employers are hiring us directly. In other cases, we are being hired by the disability insurers, uh, by the health insurers, and also by workers' compensation programs for on-the-job injuries. I can see why the health insurers would be uh, interested, but they don't seem to have the incentives aligned with saving money. But um, so is it the big, the big five are hiring you or is it the smaller ones that are hiring you? So thus far, it's the smaller ones. Uh, interestingly, yeah, you mentioned the key issue uh, in, in all of healthcare in our country in making change. And sometimes you get asked, well, if these protocols have been around for 20 years, enhanced recovery, widely studied, and these benefits are the kinds of benefits everybody would seemingly want, why aren't they more readily adopted? And it's the exact thing you said, right? It's the incentives, right? It's the incentive, stupid. It's kind of, that, kind, of that old, kind of that old saying, but that time and again is the problem. You misaligned incentives, not everybody's rowing quite in the same direction. And that's where we're trying to bring some alignment there. And we are finding that, uh, that the health insurers do find some benefit here in terms of uh, in, in terms of savings as well. So you're offering protocols that have been around for 20 years, that have 4,000 studies, that has a 5% adoption rate, and my, I'm kind of shaking my head wondering, I guess they're not teaching this in medical school. I guess they're not teaching this you know, in fellowships. They're not teaching this in the uh, residence programs. Where, where is the doctor going to learn about this? Well, some of them already know about it, <laughs> the 5%. So if, it, if it weren't for the 5%, we'd have a much more difficult job, right? But the 5% are out there. And when we find those people who fall within the 5%, there's not really a, a network of those individuals yet which is what we're constructing as part of our efforts at Goldfinch, those people are, are very happy to see us, right? Because we are there to shine a bright light uh, and highlight what they're doing for their patients. Um, so we find those folks, we promote them, we drive referrals towards them in whatever way we can because they're doing the right thing and it's got a number of benefits. On the other side of the spectrum, there's the 10 or 15% of people, the, the surgeons who aren't really that interested in changing. Uh, for whatever reason. They've been practicing one way for 30 years and now is not the time for them to change. And if that's the case, that's the case. At least there's some transparency on it into it now of what's happening. The good news is there's a big middle part, right? There's a big middle part to the spectrum of, of surgeons and, and surgical providers. And we find that if you ask some questions around say multimodal analgesia or another part of enhanced recovery after surgery protocols is, a different approach on pre-surgery nutrition and hydration. But if you start asking a few right questions or you empower the patient to ask those questions, many times the surgeons in that, that middle, they've heard of enhanced recovery. They just haven't been willing to fight the battle that's unfortunately necessary to make change in health systems in our country today. But when they've got a patient who wants it or somebody who's asking on their behalf, they know the data and they're glad to, they're glad to support it, especially when they learn that what we're also bringing is a is a nurse navigator who's part of our program over the phone and through our app, who's supporting adherence to what may be more nuanced instructions, right? And providing follow-up after surgery. They see the benefit there. So that's where we find a lot of adoption. And once we kind of create that, that feedback loop of, hey, you, we, you agreed to this multimodal analgesia, and then we can go back to you when we do this after the case and say, here's what happened with this patient, providing some insight that they don't normally have after surgery, right? What happens in the two weeks after surgery when that patient went home and I don't see them. 
then we can give them some feedback on, on pain scores and on uh, progression of functionality and return to work and all that. And once they start to see that with their own patient and their own data, that's where you get physicians moving along the adoption curve. And we see some slower adoption towards the 5%. You know, ultimately, we need far more than 5% of the surgical providers in the United States adopting enhanced recovery. But the way, the way we think we get there is by bringing some transparency to it, bringing some demand from the patients and from the employers and the insurers, and the physicians will see the, the benefits and, and they'll follow. So there's no downside to the doctor. They're not paying anything. They're not losing control of anything. They're not giving up any reimbursements. There's really nothing on the downside. There's no negatives for them to hire you. Correct. Yeah, we don't charge, we don't charge the, the physicians anything. The, the customers in our world are the employers and the insurance carriers. Uh, we, we hope to be a, viewed as, a, as an important partner uh, for reasons including the data feedback loop, but also things like, uh, you know, most of the time, most surgeons that we talk to, they wish that they could provide more follow-up after surgery to check in. How is, how is pain progressing? Did the patient really understand how they should be managing pain? Did they realize that acetaminophen and ibuprofen on a scheduled staggered basis is gold standard and you could use the opioid last line if at all? Most patients, there's the fog of surgery and there's a lot going on in your mind and a lot of anxiety. They totally miss. They totally miss that. Not to mention that most discharge instructions are written at a, a reading level that exceeds the average reading level for a patient in our country. Um, so there's a lot missed there. We can provide that follow-up every day. Our nurses in touch every day after surgery with a patient. And so we can drive towards some adherence so you don't end up with that patient that's calling in at midnight, panicked about pain or panicked about a refill of their opioid or whatever the case may be, we're addressing those questions. And by the way, in the event that there actually is a situation where the patient would need to come back in, most of the time it's triaging and, and finding solutions and ice and heat and non-pharmacological options and all of these things to make the patient feel supported. But occasionally they actually do have a, a concern that, that should lead them back to the doctor or even to the ER. Well, we can find that at day three rather than at day six when it's a real emergency. And so that is also part of the value that we're providing back to the physician, again, at no cost to them. All right. Very nice. Um, so we're running out of time. Um, tell us a little bit about your nonprofit arm and what you're doing there. Yeah. So there's, I, I appreciate you asking that, Ron. The, the uh, nonprofit piece of what we're doing is called the Billion Pill Pledge. And what that, what that gets to is, uh, the opioid side of this, that there's a lot of, lot of reasons that we're working on, on what I mentioned through Goldfinch Health, helping people get back to their lives sooner. But clearly part of this is how can we turn the notch, turn the, the dial a few notches down on opioid prescribing and opioid use and exposure around surgery. And that's not only important to the patients who's prescribed the opioids, it's important to our communities. Over 50% of new opioid addiction comes from the use of opioids left over by somebody other than the patient. And so if we can create a, an opioid sparing surgery experience where we're not saying that opioids shouldn't be used at all, right? That we think that there is, a, there is a valid place in therapy for five or 10 opioid tablets to be prescribed for patients so they have it in case they need it. But that's a far different story than what far too often, often happens, which is prescribing 30 tablets or 60 tablets even, or the last time there was a report out from the plan against pain. The average prescribing was 82 tablets after surgery. So if we can reduce that, that's good for everybody. 
So the Billion Pill Pledge is targeted towards three target audiences. It's patients or would-be patients. It's healthcare providers, which could, could include anybody. Surgical providers, it could include primary care providers, pharmacists, nurses, and others. And the third category is business leaders who make the decisions that in many ways influence the care that's being delivered in our United States healthcare system. And if we get everybody moving in the right direction toward better adoption of these opioid sparing surgical pathways and more thoughtful opioid prescribing around surgery rather than prescribing 30, prescribed 10 or five based on the surgical procedure, we believe across the United States, we can remove 1 billion pills each year from our communities, from our medicine cabinets, from our communities. And that would be a tremendous step in finally defeating the opioid crisis. Very nice. All right, so how do people reach you, Brad? You can reach me uh, at Goldfinch Health or at the Billion Pill Pledge. And you can reach me at brand.newland at goldfinchhealth.com. I'd be glad to talk with anybody who's interested. And Brand, if you could fly a banner overhead, uh, that would say anything, what would that message be? And what would the message be? Um, how about opioids aren't the gold standard for pain? Great, great message. Well, thanks for your time and we'll look forward to following your progress. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. You wanna shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, Go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.